Our scripture today comes to us both from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43, and the gospel of Luke, chapter 3. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine, and when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you, because you're precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Chancel Choir, for the gorgeous anthem, and to the Cherub Choir with such an enthusiasm, such a terrific quartet. I hope we'll hear them again soon. And, uh, today is the first Sunday after the Epiphany. That was this past Thursday, always on January the 6th, the visit of the wise men. Some call it Three Kings Day. And on this first Sunday after the Epiphany, we observe the Baptism of the Lord Sunday. Now this year's reading is taken from the Gospel according to Luke. He describes it a little bit differently than do Matthew and Mark. John doesn't speak of it at all. But Luke doesn't mention the actual baptism so much and doesn't mention the Jordan River. His emphasis is more on what happened at the baptism of Jesus itself and another difference found in Luke's version is referred to in verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, hang on to that line, and was praying. The baptism of Jesus, his identification with us, his first ordination to the ministry to which God had called him. Baptism, we think of it as a cleansing waters. Jesus was sinless, not the case with him. 
but also a chance to be ordained and set aside. And then with our Old Testament reading, we talk about passing through the waters. In the hymn, How Firm a Foundation comes right out of the scripture, right out of the Old Testament reading in Isaiah. And so I want us to keep that thought in mind. As baptized children of God, we are prepared to pass through the waters, the deep waters, the flood waters sometimes that come our way in this world, the, the difficulties. The flame shall not hurt us either. And a beautiful hymn based on a marvelous passage of scripture. And these two passages tie together so well, I think, on this Sunday of the baptism of the Lord. But I want us to look at the prayer life of Jesus for just a little bit. The importance of that as far as finding strength. Jesus passed through some deep waters himself in this world up to and including the time at the cross. So let's, let's think about that for just a moment. And then we're going to have a baptismal renewal service. And we'll say more about that at that point in the service. I hope you will enjoy and appreciate that as well. The prayer life of Jesus is important for Luke. You read through the Gospel of Luke, and this passage strongly implies that Jesus, as he was praying, things were happening. And there's story after story, and Luke references to Jesus in prayer. There's the story of Jesus healing the leper and instructing the leper to tell no one. Word got out, and the crowd gathered to be healed. But Jesus withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. In chapter 6, Jesus, prior to selecting the 12 apostles, one of his best-known sermons, right after that, Sermon on the Plain. Matthew calls it the Sermon on the Mount. Luke, the Sermon on the Plain or on the level place where Jesus preached that powerful sermon. He continued in prayer all night long. He had a big decision to make. Among his disciples, who would be the 12? Who would represent the 12 tribes, the 12 called ones and the sent ones? And he picked them out after he had prayed. And he came down after that and he stood on a level place. And he began to preach and teach words that we still live by even to this day. Blessed are you poor. Blessed are you that hunger. Blessed are you that weep. Chapter 9, verse 18 begins. Now, then it happened as he was praying alone. And in verses 28 and 29, now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and James and John up on the mountain to pray. The Mount of Transfiguration. As he was praying, all these amazing things happened. And God's spirit was there and there was a glow in the countenance and they became, their clothing became white and, and dazzling. And finally, he gave them a prayer that we have called the Lord's Prayer. And the disciples realized they didn't know how to pray like Jesus. Lord, teach us to pray. And then the immortal words of this prayer that we repeat most every Sunday, most days of our life. Jesus' life marked by prayer. Chapter 22, Jesus is at table with the 12, the occasion we've come to call the Last Supper. Jesus is speaking to Peter and he's saying, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, wants to destroy you. But I've been praying for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And later in the chapter on the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup away from me, but if not your will, not mine. 
And then in chapter 23, Jesus is suspended between heaven and earth on a cross. There's a thief, really probably a zealot, a revolutionary to his left and one to his right. And he's praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Talking about those who have crucified him. And then his last words, a breath prayer. Difficult situation, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. His whole life was marked by prayer. And, and he taught his disciples to pray. And there's a kinship we have here with the humanity of Jesus. He's not simply the teacher of a spiritual duty. Not up at the lectern, not up by the chalkboard talking to a classroom full of folks, but with folks in their times of struggle as they pass through the deep waters. Jesus prayed. And he taught us to pray. And the gospel lesson contains the first of many references just in Luke to Jesus praying. He felt many of the same things we feel, tempted as we are, tempted, needing to pray. Not just as a teacher, though, but as one who is the good shepherd, walking with us, helping us to draw closer to the heavenly father. Prayer is so important as Jesus lived out his baptism, lived as a servant, in this world. And certainly there's more to Jesus in this aspect of humanity dependent on the divine. There are relationships that he has with God the Father that are marvelous and mysterious and too deep for us to comprehend in the way that he did perhaps. And Paul said in his matchless, timeless phrase, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not separating us. And all of this is important, should always be kept in mind. The very meaning of the incarnation is that whatever else we say about the divine mystery of God in Christ, we must also say in some other words of the New Testament, he humbled himself, being born in the likeness of mortals, and was in every respect tempted as we are. Jesus reveals to us all the possibilities in human life, divine possibilities, not under conditions different from ours, but walking by our side and pleading with us to come unto him. Pray, he says. I prayed. I knew the need of it. I know what it can do. I know how it can change you and empower you. Pray. I want you to pray. I prayed, he said. Certainly Jesus saw companionship with his heavenly father. <coughs> Excuse me. He knew that only God could know and meet his greatest needs. And if out of our speculation, we may know anything about his praying, then certainly we know this, that when he prayed, he was not simply asking for things. It was not a laundry list of prayer. It was not like he was approaching a Santa Claus, a divine Santa Claus, and saying, give me this, 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 and this. He was not trying to use God as a source of favors. He wasn't after God's gifts, even the greatest gifts. He wanted God to sense again and again that power and presence in his life. And he wants that for us as well. In the gospel according to John chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus is recorded as saying the Father and I are one. No one else has ever been able to say that. But Jesus said that and those words are at the center of his praying. He was conscious then that he was not alone that he could never be alone, that no matter how much his companions might fail him, and they did, didn't they? Many times, over and over again, there was a companion that would never fail him. There was a knowledge that understood him, 
a purpose that understood him and a love that went with him all the way. So for all of Jesus' followers, for you and me, that must be the first meaning of this prayer as we live out our baptism in this world, to seek the giver and not the gifts, to be still and know that at the heart of things, there is one on whom we may always unfailingly rely. Our Heavenly Father is our constant companion. It's a, it's a real possibility. I think I've told you before about a woman who made such an impression on me when I was a student pastor. She was shut in, lived in a little ramshackle kind of frame house by herself. Her daughter would come by and check on her. But Miss Baker was there alone, and she spent most of her time, she said. And I believed her. You could tell when you were around her. Walking around her dining room table, she would hold on the table with one hand and her cane with the other, and she would pray and pray and pray, and she would sing Amazing Grace, she said over and over again. And you could almost sense she believed that God was really in that house, in that dining room with her. She believed that, and you could feel it in the house almost because God was there. And I'll not ever forget her, I don't think. Jesus was looking for companionship and prayer, and he found it. He was looking for something else. He was looking for power. And certainly he gained it wherever he went. He radiated power. Folks just knew he was equal to any occasion. Not power so much to blast somebody away or to overpower somebody or, to, or just to beat the starch out of somebody. Not that kind of power. But the kind of power that could bring healing and hope and encouragement when people were not knowing where else to turn or what else to do. And it was that kind of overwhelming power when he confronted the demonic, the evil forces in this world. As Fred Craddock taught us years ago, he said, Christians forget sometimes there's another team on the field. And Jesus understood that and understood that he needed that power. And we need it as well. Power to raise from the dead. Power to turn Calvary and its evil cross into a symbol of salvation and hope. An amazing kind of power because he prayed. And when we fail to pray, I think it's sort of like unplugging a power tool. Chainsaw, not much good if it's not turned on or plugged in, if it's an electric one or any other kind of saw or tool. We're plugged in through prayer. We find that power that we need, that help. And it's not available anywhere else and we can't do it by ourselves. And we find the power to be encouraging and a power to lift folks up and Goodness knows how many folks are walking around with their heads bowed and, and their backs bowed, just feeling like life has just whooped them. And we need to encourage and we need to lift up. And by the power of prayer, we can do that. And as we gain this kind of power in our life to share the love of God, we start dropping words from our vocabulary, words like hopeless and helpless and impossible. Jesus was looking for companionship and he found it, looking for prayer and he gained it. And he was also looking, I believe, for illumination as he prayed. And he never walked in the darkness. Jesus prayed not only that he might sense God, but that he might see more clearly where the ways of God were leading him on his path through this world. Stumbling in the darkness. We often pray that God will remove the obstacles and make the path smooth and make everything okay. Instead of just simply praying, Lord, send the light. Help us to see what's there, what's before us, 
what we need to be aware of, what we need to do. Stumbling in the darkness, things look so different in the light than they do in the shadows. If you've ever been out away from the city, away from town, on a dark night, in the darkness, and someone told me this morning after we talked about this, that they'd been on a trip in a cave, and when they got in there, all the lights were turned off, and it was the deepest darkness just beyond description. You couldn't see a thing, couldn't sense anything. And you know how ominous and threatening everything seems to be in the dark when you're camping out, but as the, the daylight begins to appear and the sun begins to arise and the light is scattered across the landscape, the landscape hasn't changed, but our perception has, and we know we'll be okay. Our problems and difficulties may not be all solved, may not all disappear, but we can see them for what they are. And then we can know in his light what to do about them. What can we change? What can't we change? Lucy says to Charlie Brown, and I think Charles Schultz is probably one of my favorite theologians of all time. And he really, he really understood Lucy, you know Lucy, she said to Charlie Brown, if I were in charge of the world, I'd change everything. And Charlie Brown, that Charlie Brown character we know said, that wouldn't be easy. Where would you start? And she said, I'd start with you. <laughs> we feel that way about other folks sometimes. And we pray that God would change circumstances and situations in our life. And prayers like that seem to go unanswered a lot. But if we're perceptive, we begin to see the people and the circumstances in a different light and understand and know that it's going to be okay. We're walking with God. We're his children. We are baptized. Life can get tough. Things can become difficult. And so instead of dropping the course, maybe we just need to increase the light. Amen. If you turn, it's in your bulletin, but it's also in the hymnal on page 50, the baptismal renewal service. This is a service we often do on this particular Sunday of the church year. Before the COVID days, we'd have folks come down and touch the water, or we would make a water cross on your head and say, remember your baptism and be thankful. But this morning, when we reach that point of the service, we'll just sprinkle some water in your direction and say those words. Understand that in our tradition, we don't do rebaptism. We believe God gets it right the first time. So this is not a rebaptism. This is a renewal of the baptismal covenant, a reminder of the promises God made and the promises we made in response. Page 50 or in your bulletin. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water and the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Through the reaffirmation of our faith, we renew the covenant declared in our baptism, acknowledge what God is doing for us, and affirm our commitment to Christ's holy church. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin?
Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church, which Christ is open to people of all ages, nations, and races? According to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? Let us join together in professing the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of life, and the life everlasting. I do want to invite you to turn into your hymnals to page 51 and 52 for this section. In the bulletin. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the dark waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. After the flood, you set in the clouds a rainbow. When you saw your people as slaves in Egypt, you led them to freedom through the sea. Their children you brought through the Jordan to the land which you promised. Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of God's mercy each day. In the fullness of time you sent Jesus, nurtured in the water of a womb. He was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. He called his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection and to make disciples of all nations. Declare his works to the nations, his glory among all people. Pour out your Holy Spirit, and by this gift of water, call to our remembrance the grace declared to us in our baptism. For you have washed away our sins, and you clothe us with righteousness throughout our lives, that dying and rising with Christ, we may share in his final victory. All praise to you, eternal Father through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever. Amen. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. Remember your baptism and be thankful. Amen. Let us rejoice in the faithfulness of our covenant God. We give thanks for all that God has already given us as members of the body of Christ 
and in this congregation of the United Methodist Church, we will faithfully participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And now the God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory in Christ, establish you and strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you may live in grace and peace.